Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading at verse 7. I'm going to read down through verse 19. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice. And that was, when that, that means there, parentheses mean this is a quotation. This is a quotation actually from Psalm 95. Uh, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, and here's this phrase that we looked at last week somewhat, again stated, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. In other words, we take possession of Christ, make him our own. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. So the title of the message this morning is, Harden Not Your Heart. Harden Not Your Heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity that we have to open thy precious word. And I pray as we look unto the word of God that we open our hearts and minds to receive it as it is in truth, the very words of God. I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. And I pray that our hearts be pliable and receptive to what you would have for us today. And might you be glorified, might we be helped, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we continue in this study of this book of Hebrews, of course, you know, Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, we believe probably to the church at Jerusalem, um, who was, which was struggling. And, of course, they struggled from their inception with a tendency to want to hang on to the law and keep the commandments. You know, and there were some, of course, we know that left... Uh, Jerusalem went down to Antioch and said, well, except you be circumcised, you can't be saved. Well, that's hanging on to the law. And, and uh, Paul wrote in Romans that circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. You know, it was something that was given to Israel. It doesn't make you saved or lost. And so there was this danger of turning away from sufficiency of Christ. And, and hardening the hearts, of course, they were under persecution as well. There was severe persecution in Jerusalem at this time. And, and so the challenge, this challenge is to us today as well. You know, we find in our society, in our world, people harden their hearts against God. Uh, and, and this can happen to Christians as well as those who are lost. Many times, you know, you may witness to somebody and, and they may hear the truth and at first you think, you know, and you, you understand they, are, they may be under conviction, show signs of conviction, and yet they may harden their hearts and turn away to perdition, to damnation. But it can also happen to a child of God who hardens his heart against God, allows sin to compromise into his life, and he becomes blind to the truth. And this is, the, this, is, this is kind of what we're talking about here today, and we'll look at that more next week. But I have really only two points this morning, but bear with me, I do have some sub-points, so, so don't get too excited. Uh, first of all, the consideration examine, and the consideration is that he's, he's given to us is this, to hear his voice, to hear his voice. So there's an exhortation to hear his voice. In other words, we must hear, verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saying, Today, if ye will hear his voice. The word hear means here means to perceive, to recognize, to discern, to understand. So it's more than just I heard a noise. 
or I heard something secondhand, or, and, I, and I'm not sure what I heard. No, this is something you recognize, or you can discern what it is, and you can understand it. You know, you know some of you, uh, and you know, I have witnessed to people, and they seem to have understand what they heard, and, and sometimes they will receive it, other times they will not, even though they understand it. And so this is, the, this is we are to hear it with understanding. You know, the problem many times is how we filter what we hear. We all do that to some degree. We filter what we hear. We filter what we hear through what we feel or through our experiences. And then we assume things and may come to conclusions that are wrong and, or not what's intended by the voice. He says, today if you will hear his voice. So hear his voice. Don't filter it through what you want to hear. You know, really the bottom line there is, when we filter it through our feelings and our experiences, the bottom line is then we're going to hear what we want to hear. We're going to hear what we want to hear. It's oftentimes you... People hear when people hear the gospel and that they are depraved sinners before a holy and righteous God. Sometimes the response is, "Oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that bad." Well, you really didn't hear what I was telling you then, because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are depraved. We are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We are wicked and vile in the sight of a holy God. Compared to your neighbor or the person sitting next to you, you may be a very pretty good person. But when we compare ourselves with God, and we're talking about wanting a relationship with God, we are unclean. Pray sinners. You know, the attitude in our world is that, you know, well, you know, is, 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 you know the, our culture has accepted sin because it's culturally acceptable. You know, I've often said, you know, morality is okay as long as it's between two consenting adults, whether it be adultery or fornication or or pornography or whatever it is, as long as it's two consenting or homosexuality, as long as it's two consenting adults, it's okay. Or common law marriage. You see, we need to hear. You know, Martha, Martha really didn't hear what Jesus was saying to her. When Jesus spoke to Martha and said, your brother shall rise again. She really didn't hear. Oh, she said, oh, oh, I know at the last day. Jesus said, I am. You aren't really listening to me. I am the resurrection and the life. He wasn't talking about the last day. He was talking about the here and now. And even when he, when he, when he said to roll away a stone, she tried to bring him because she didn't understand or she didn't really hear that Jesus was talking about now. I'm the resurrection and the life. He will rise. Twice in the book of Acts, in Acts 13, 27, talks about them hearing the word of God, and, and which they rejected. And Acts 13, 27 says, For they that dwelt in Jerusalem, their rulers, because they knew not him, nor yet the voices of the prophets, notice, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled in condemning him. The voices of the prophets, in other words, the words of God were written, read every Sabbath day in the synagogues, yet they knew not him. Why? Because they really didn't listen to what was being read. They filtered it through what they wanted, not what was being said. Acts 15, 21, For Moses' old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. See, if you assemble here and listen to the Word of God preached and filter it through your own preconceived ideas or feelings of how you are going to live, give, or whether you're going to witness or not, or how you're going to clothe yourself, or what attitude or temperament you're going to have, you are thereby limiting the voice of God speaking to you. You say, preacher, you don't believe people have different temperaments? I do but that is not an excuse to sin. That's no justification for sin. You know, I've, when, when I was in Maine, there was this fellow in the church, and he, he, he often said this, well, that's just the way I am. 
Finally, I said to him one day, no, no, it's not true. That's just the way you want to be, and you are excusing yourself. He said, well, I can't help it. No, we need to see it as God sees it, sin. Confess it, well, I can't help it. Well, did you ever see it as God sees it? Sin. Confess and give it over to God and let him work mightily in your life. See, the problem is, we want to hang on to our sins. We don't want to give them up. We don't want to see them as God sees them. And, you know, we are living in a world, in a nation, that is judging sin by the culture in which we live. It's wicked. Deuteronomy 5, 23 to 26 Pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire, that you came near unto me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. See, God has spoken, and we need to listen. You know, this quotation is from Psalm 95. And verses 6 through 11, Psalm 95 and verses 6 through, 6 through 11. So, you know, this was, this in Deuteronomy was spoken to the children of Israel by Moses. Here again, David is reiterating to the nation of Israel at a later date. And, and he says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice... Harden not your heart. So David is saying to Israel in his time, look, hear his voice. Don't harden your heart as in the provocation, as they did back in the wilderness, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved with that generation and said, is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my way unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. And here in Hebrews 3, he's again saying to us, He's saying, of course, you know, the, the, the immediate context was, and this is written specifically to the Jews at Jerusalem, but it's written and preserved for us. Hear his voice. Listen to him. Titus 1.3 said he's manifested his word through preaching. We must hear. So there's an exhortation to hear his voice. And so we need to hear his voice, and we must hear it with the heart. We need to hear it with the heart. Notice verse 8. It says, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. And this is a common phrase throughout this passage. Harden not your hearts. You know, the heart is the center and seat of spiritual life. According to this, this is the, this is the um, Litter Bible's lexicon. The center and seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind, as it is the fountain and seat of the thoughts, the passions, the desires, the appetites, affections, purposes, and so on. You know, it really refers to the inner man, the heart, the real you. You know, the outward man can be perishing, and yet that inner man can be thriving and strong. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul refers to that. For which cause we faint know, though the outward man perish... Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So he's talking about that inner man from which you live, where your passions and your desires and, 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 and come from, and your affections, your appetites. You know, in 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel was sent to, to anoint a king amongst Jesse's sons, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I refused him. The Lord looketh, seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh at the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And so he's saying we need to listen with the heart. Don't harden your heart. And the word harden there means to render obstinate or stubborn. Stubborn. You remember that Saul, or Samuel, told Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 23, that stubbornness is as iniquity. And idolatry. You know, when I was a little boy, we always went barefoot in the summer. And in the beginning of summer, my feet were kind of soft. 
you know, sissy soft, you know. That's, that's how we viewed it. They were sissy soft at the beginning of the summer. But after three or four weeks, I mean, I could just run across stones just as fast as I could run across the grass and it didn't bother me at all. See, what happened is my feet got hardened. It got hardened. It got calloused. And the stones had no effect. No feeling. You know, there's a real danger that we can harden our hearts against the word of the Lord where we don't hear it. It doesn't affect, we may hear it, but it doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect us. You know, it kind of reminds me of Asa in the Old Testament. Asa was one of the good kings. But one of the things he did was, there, you know, he, there came a huge host against him in battle, and he, he sought the Lord, and the Lord directed him, and they defeated this great host. And then there was another smaller group came against him, and he made a league with an enemy, with king, uh, I think Baasha, king of Israel, who was an idolatrous kingdom, and he made, said, make a league with me. That, that or, No, he made a league with, with the, the Syrian king so that Baasha would, rem- would stop building uh, cities that threatened him. And so he made this league with a heathen king instead of relying on God, as he should have. And the prophet came to him and said, you know, why did you rely on the Lord? And he said, henceforth it's going to be worse. And he told this prophet, basically, don't talk to me anymore. Or I'm going to kill you. You know what he did? He hardened his heart. And the Bible tells us that he was diseased in his feet. Yet he sought not the Lord, but the physicians. So he got hardened in his heart. Solomon got hardened in his heart. The compromise that he allowed in the kingdom hardened his heart. Where he didn't heed the voice of the Lord, who had spoken to him in such great ways early in his life. You see, we must not harden our hearts. We must have a soft and pliable heart. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, And verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word poor there means lowly or humble. In other words, not proud or arrogant. They already know what they need to know. No, they are poor in spirit. They come to God with an open mind. Lord, teach me. Lord, challenge me. Lord, correct me. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the word. The word meek. You know, a Blue Bible's outline of a biblical usage describes meekness this way, quote, meekness toward God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. In the which, in the Old Testament, the meek are those who rely on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Thus, meekness toward evil people means knowing God is forbidding the injuries they inflict, that he's using them to purify his elect, that he will deliver his elect in his time. And gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control of the situation. The meek person is not occupied with self at all. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. Unquote. You see, a meek person will, will accept God's you know, difficult times or, uh, and the dealings of, with, of God with him, without disputing or resisting, he will, he will accept even the personal injuries with, or injustices, seeking, seeking God's will in it and not revenging himself. Moses didn't revenge himself. He waited on the Lord. The Lord did avenge him. You'll see, meek people will accept difficult or afflictions in life and search their own hearts to purify themselves. To learn from it. You know, we're, of course, talking a lot about Solomon in the Sunday school class. And because of Solomon's sin, God sent three adversaries with one purpose. All three of them had the same purpose. To bring Solomon back to his original place. 
Do you know what Solomon's response was? He tried to kill them all. See, he had hardened his heart. He, wasn't, he had become non-pliable for God. Now, we know he, later he did. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. Somewhere along the line, he repented, but the damage was done. See, God wants us to have this, this pliable or this soft heart. And again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, some people can't take it when someone expresses a different opinion than theirs. I was watching a video clip at some university, I'm trying to remember where it was, yesterday. And there was a couple young men had computers open and they were studying. And there was this, it was in this room, I suppose a lounge of some kind. There was lots of tables sitting there, you know. And, there's, and, and as far as I said, there's only like, you know, maybe half a dozen people in there that the video showed. I mean, there's empty tables. And there's two young ladies. And this one guy had on the, on the, the, the top of his, his, his uh, uh, laptop... Police matter. And these two young ladies began to contest with them and, and, and tell them that they are, they are um, uh, imposing upon their space and they're making them feel uncomfortable because they got this police matter sticker on his computer. And the guy said, I'm just here studying for school. He's all this space. Yeah, but this is our space, and you're making us feel uncomfortable. You know, we call that cancel culture. And we are set against that. But how often do we cancel the voice of God? Because it is different than what we want to hear. Well, I don't like standards of holiness. I've heard people say, well, I, I just don't believe the Bible teaches that. You know, and there's been many times I've said, well, can I show you what I believe the Bible says? No, I know what the Bible says. Yeah. Oh, well, I've never, you know, one person said to me, I never heard stuff like this in all my life. Well, does that mean it's not true? Are you all of a sudden the repository of truth? You know, Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they that, are, that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you hunger for your truth? Are you willing to accept the truth even if it cuts Even if it does surgery in your life, are you willing, are you seeking the truth? Even if it requires change, putting off some things that that please the flesh and putting on the things that please the Spirit. You know, God never said, be ye holy if you like it. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. See, we need to hear with the heart. The heart is the heart of the matter. In fact, if you notice in verse 10... He says, wherefore I was grieved with that generation that said, they, they always err where? In their heart. Always. That's a pretty strong word. Always. See, these people in the Old Testament that didn't want to go into the promised land, the error was in their heart. They erred in their hearts. People don't want to believe God today. Don't want to receive the truth? There, it's, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. And so we are encouraged, we are challenged, we're encouraged to hear the word of the Lord. We're encouraged to give it preeminence in our life. In other words, it's to have preeminence over what I feel, what I think, what I have been taught. Unless what you have been taught is already the truth then the truth will only confirm, be confirmed to you. And so we have this exhortation to hear, not just hear, but hear with the heart. Let's notice the second thing, the consequence ensued, or 
what follows how we hear. And I, I got several things here. First of all, the consequence of a hardened heart. Again, the word hardened means to render obstinate or stubborn. Stubborn. And it really, what it makes, what it does is makes the word of God of no effect to us. You know, we, it's like hearing it and it goes through one ear and right out the other. You ever say to somebody, well, you just didn't listen to what I said. Boy, he says that to me every now and again. You aren't listening to what I said. <laughs> well, you know, if it doesn't pertain to me, I try not to store it. <laughs> oh, I, I shouldn't say I try not to store it. I usually don't retain it. <laughs> Who she's cleaning for really doesn't matter to me. Whether it's, you know, this lady or that lady or what, you know, uh, this old guy. You know, that really doesn't matter who it is. So I don't make much effort to retain it. And sometimes say, well, you just didn't listen to what I said to you. No, I really didn't pay that much attention. Because that part wasn't important. Just want to know what time you're leaving, what time you're going to get home. You know, to just make sure the supper's ready. You know, that's, yeah. No. You know, it goes through one ear and out the other. You know, sort of like me running across the gravel late summer after my feet have become callous. It does not affect, has no effect. That's a hardened heart. You know, King's Hall, King Saul's heart was stubborn. Oh, he heard the command Samuel gave to him very clearly. He heard it. But he didn't do it. He only did part of it. He did the part he wanted. And a hardened heart will do several things to you. First of all, it will tempt the Lord. It will tempt the Lord. Notice again in uh, verse 9. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. The word tempted here means that men are said by exhibitions of distrust. It really means to distrust. And it carries with the idea they wish to try whether he is not justly distrusted. No, they believed God was justly distrusted. So they, when it says they tempted God in the wilderness, you know, the, 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 the spies come back with this evil report, and, and the people tempted God by saying, God, you're not able to do what you said. You know, really what they're saying is, God, you can't keep what you promised. So it's a challenge. They are really challenging God. Challenging the Word of God. Challenge Him to give proof of His perfections. I mean, you can't do what you promised. But prove it to us. Yeah, God had already proven himself. He had already proven himself. The Red Sea. The water out of the rock. But see, now the test is, you go in and you will engage in battle and I will give you the victory. You know, that Red Sea experience was like a gift. Sort of like salvation is a gift of God, not of works. But Canaan land was something they had to get by putting forth some effort. They had to take God at his word and line up in battle and surround those cities and begin to attack and trust that God was going to give them victory over giants, walled cities, heavily fortified strongholds. Now that takes faith. That takes faith. It's like the priests, when they came to Jordan, had to dip their feet in the water before the waters parted. See, to do that, you have to believe that when I put my, get my foot wet, God's going to part the water. You sometimes, 
you know, in, the, in our Christian experience, what God wants us to do is get our feet wet. And then he'll provide the way. But when we say, oh, I'm not sticking my foot in there. I'm not taking that chance. You're distrusting God. And you're tempting him. The second thing we see here is, it will blind you to the ways of the Lord. Notice verse 10. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. The word ways here denotes a course of conduct, a manner of thinking, a manner of deciding. You know, the ways of man are coercion, coercion, force, manipulation. God's way is, follow me. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. See, God just simply says, follow me. Follow me. It's not coercion. It's not forcing us. He didn't even try to force the children of Israel to go in. You know, the way of man is do good, earn your way, you can sacrifice your body, you know, asceticism and all that kind of stuff, or, you know, you can crucify yourself, as some do in the Philippines every year. You know, they they don't do it unto death, but they'll put themselves on crosses and beat themselves up. You know, God's way is, it's a gift. You know, the way of man is to judge by appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Out of the heart, of the heart, the mouth speaks. The way of man is situation ethics. In other words, the situation dictates your actions. But the way of God is, you obey my commands in all situations. In all situations, your lot's covetousness blinded him to the ways of God. His philosophy was. I have to deal and dwell in Sodom so that I can get wealth. So that I can provide wealth for my, my house and my family. I, so I need to deal and dwell in Sodom. You know, and, and surely the Lord has given me all this and, and, and given me to live right here so that I can prosper. Prosperity gospel. That was basically his philosophy. See, he didn't understand Saul, he didn't understand God's ways. Abraham did. You know, Abraham told the king of Sodom, I will not take even a shoe latchet from thee. Lest thou sayest, I have made Abraham rich. So I won't take anything from you. I mean, he even, you know, Abraham was the one who delivered Lot. And the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and several other kings from from five other kings delivered them in a battle and delivered Lot. And that's when the king of Sodom offered all the loot that Abraham took in that battle to Abraham. And Abraham said, I won't take anything from you, not even a shoe latchet. See, Abraham trusted God to make him prosperous. He obeyed God's commands and separated from that evil place. And trusted God to make him prosperous. Whereas Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Solomon's idea was to make alliances for political gain and power. Marry strange wives instead of simply relying on the Lord to build the kingdom. Now, both these men were saved men. They're both saved men. But see, their sin blinded them to the ways of the Lord. So notice the third thing. Hardening your heart, it provokes the wrath of God. Notice verse 8. 
it says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter in my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years was not with them that said sin, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So they, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. See, this, it provokes, hardening the heart provokes the wrath of God. And not receiving the truth. The word provo- provo- provocation here means to provoke, to exasperate. To rouse to indignation. It's to provoke by rebellion. So the idea here is they rebelled against God and, and it provoked God's wrath. To righteous wrath against his out, by, uh, their outright rebellion. You know, in, in Exodus 32, we know that the children of Israel provoked the Lord to wrath by making and worshiping a golden calf. And they said, this is the God that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. As for this Moses, we know not what has become of him. The Lord's anger was kindled. He's ready to destroy the whole nation unless, except that Moses interceded. Numbers 14, 23. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto the fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Again, talking about those who would not go up because of the report of the ten wicked spies. Numbers 16.30, but if the Lord is speaking here about uh, 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 Korah, uh, Nadab, and Abiah, and uh, yeah, Nathan and Abiah, yeah, Byram, uh, anyway, in Numbers 16.30, But if the Lord make a new thing, and earth open her mouth, and swallow them up, with all that pertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And we know that the, the earth opened up, and swallowed them up, and closed them up again. Why? They had provoked the Lord. You know, over and over again through the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 9, 8, Also in Horeb you provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. 9, 22, At Tiber and at Manasseh, at Manasseh and Kibroth Hadavah you provoked the Lord to wrath. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 16, They provoked him to jealousy with strange God. With ab- abominations provoked they him to anger. Uh, look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, writing to the churches that were in Rome, uh, in, in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, he's speaking about the Jew, in particular he says, thou, Therefore thou art inexcusable, old man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, old man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. You see, he says, if you, if you, if you uh, harden your heart against the truth, you're going to treasure up. You're going to gather up like one gathers treasure. You're going you're to gather up the wrath of God against you. Now, what does this mean? Well, let's sum up these three things. We talked about tempting the Lord, 
blinding your way, your eyes to the ways of the Lord and provoking the Lord to wrath. You sum up these three things in the language used here. What you have is a life without rest. A life without the peace of God that passeth all understanding. You know, all these people he is using to illustrate here were delivered from Egypt. That was a gift of God. Canaan land was the goal, the place of rest, the place of peace, the place of the blessings of God, the place where there'd be no more battles after they took possession of it. But it was received, made theirs by walking in obedience, fighting in obedience to the Lord, walking in faith. It had to be taken. You just must, like one must take Christ, take possession of, make his sacrifice for sin, your payment for sin. As God's child, we must by faith hear his voice, make his words our guide, our direction, our sufficiency for life, walking by faith in his commandments even when we don't understand. Because our eyes... These things right here, can't see it, doesn't mean it's not true. Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses endured seeing him who is invisible. That's the eye of faith. See, Moses believed when he'd get in a predicament, when he was in the will of God and there was a predicament, he believed that God was also going to make a way out. And see, walking by faith, living by faith means that we're going to get ourselves into some predicaments with the world, some confrontations with the world, but it also means that we have to believe that God's going to make a way out. Or God's going to make a way for us to endure it. That's what Daniel did. He was in predicament after predicament after predicament. Joseph was. But see, these people, when they came up to these predicaments or these problems that they faced, instead of trusting God to see them through, they turned away. And they never got victory over their sin, their unbelief, their own rebellion against God. And they continued to wander around in the wilderness, contentious, angry, murmuring, complaining, throughout the 40 years of wilderness journey. They weren't satisfied with the, mood, the food that God gave them. They weren't satisfied with the leadership that God gave them. They weren't satisfied with the women that God gave them. They went to the Moabites, lose women. And you know what all this does? It causes contention and confusion and unrest. That was their life. You know, sometimes I look at people in the world and I think, man, what, what a mess. If they just hear the word of God. Think of the messes. You, know, you got what they call families today. And, you know, a woman has three kids and this one's to this guy and this one's to this guy. And we don't know where the third one's come from. talking to a relative just a couple weeks ago and he said that he, they had this young kid that was he's a teenager, still in school working for him. And he had a, an immoral relationship with a girl. And a few weeks later she texted him and said uh, just to let you know I'm pregnant and it could be you, this, or this. See that's what Refusing to listen to the voice of God will do for you. First, notice one final thing here. Your response to the truth will prove God either way. 
whether you listen or whether you harden. We're going to talk more about listening next week. But whether you listen or harden your heart, it's going to prove God. Look here at chapter 3, again, verse 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all, you know, there, was, there were some that didn't provoke the Lord, that, which came out of Egypt with Moses. You know, we're talking about the generation that came out of Egypt, and the two, two in particular that didn't provoke were Joshua and Caleb. They didn't provoke the Lord. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So those who believed not proved God's words true. He said, ye shall die in this wilderness. Did they die in the wilderness? Yes, they did. Did they wander around? And he said, you're going to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. Did they wander around? Some of the places, they went back to the same places over and over again, just wandering around, going nowhere. And we're going to see next week that if that's the kind of faith you have, it doesn't profit you at all. I mean, if you were working at the same job 40 years and you never got a promotion, are you profiting Are you improving? The answer would be no. You're just like something stagnant. Like a dirty old pond that's just stagnant. It has no flow and it's just breeding breeding, uh, breeding mosquitoes, you know. They, They wandered in the wilderness, discontented, causing contention, murmuring against Moses, jealous of Aaron, Again, satisfaction, there was division in her house. You know, Lot brought division in his own house. Turmoil, uncertainty, fear. All this because of a, they did not believe God. You know, God gives us grace as we live in this wicked world with its lust of the flesh and the seeking, you know, and the seeking of fortune fame. But when you bring it into your own house, by your living, those things will provoke the wrath of God. And this is what they did. You know, God judged Solomon for the idolatry he brought into Israel. His son was left with two tribes. That was judgment on Solomon's house. Ezekiel 18.30 says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his way, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. So repent. We see also, God kept his word to those who believe. Verse 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. And we know that the ones that, of that generation that came out of Egypt by Moses were Joshua and Caleb. And God gave them the inheritance. I mean, they wandered around in the wilderness with all those just stand there, just stand there. You know, I don't, I don't know what they did during that time. Just watching all these, their generation die. Just die. Every week there's a funeral. Probably every day. And they're probably thinking in their minds, I could have told you so. In fact, we tried to tell you so. If you had just listened to the voice of God. But you would not. Just like Jesus said to the Jews, I would have gathered you as a hen gathered chicks under her wings, but ye would not. Joshua 14, 14 15 tells us, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before was Kerjeth Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakins. Those were the giants. And this is the phrase of the last verse. And the land had rest from war. See, God delivered them from Egypt. Canaan was the goal, was the place of victory, was the place of rest. What's the place of living in peace? 
Having the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And we'll explain that more next week. But it says the land had rest. But to obtain that rest, we have to believe all the counsel of God. The Apostle Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.12. says, For I know whom I believe it, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul's facing martyrdom. He's not fretting. He's not fearful. He's not in turmoil. He says, I know. I have confidence in whom I have believed. And I know he's able to keep me unto the day I go with him. I know. John 14, Jesus told his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. If you what? Believe in God, believe also in me. You're in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know that? Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Speaks of going through the Red Sea. That's what God did for them. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. That speaks of going into the Canaan land and conquering it. Take my yoke. Believe my words, act on them, live them out in your life. It will bring rest, comfort, confidence, assurance in your life. You see, God wants us to not only receive him by faith as Lord and Savior, he wants us to live for him by faith. It's then you find rest. It's then you are protected from all these problems and turmoil that the world is involved in. So harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. Are you coming to him with an open and receptive heart? Have you believed on him to the saving of your soul? If you have, Christian, are you walking in obedience, taking him at his word day by day, living out his commandments? in a wicked and a perverse world.